Okay, welcome everybody. Good to have you here. Welcome. My name is Taryn Howell, one of the pastors here. And I want to say a big welcome to everybody in the room, a welcome to everybody online, and then the biggest welcome, sorry everybody else, but the biggest welcome, all of our first-time guests, thank you, thank you for being here. I know it can be kind of weird to come to a church. It is. It's just like we're weird sometimes, and that's okay, but we are so grateful that you're here, and so we want you to really get connected. If you didn't stop by the welcome desk, please do that. Uh, Savannah covered a lot of stuff. This Breakfast with Santa really is huge. It's It's a big event that we do. Just so you know, if you're wondering, well, I want to know where it is and more details about it, we can't say all of that because we're serving foster families, and so there's some privacy that we have to have, and since we stream our services live, we can't share all the information, but if you want information, you can contact us, follow the information on the cards and the backs of the pews in front of you, and uh, that'll, that'll get you to it, though. But if you're wondering, wait, what? she didn't say where, she didn't, if she left out some information, that was on purpose, just so you know. Uh, also, I just, I just, before I get into it, I just want to say thank you to the worship team. I don't know if y'all saw this morning. Tyler lost like four strings or something. I don't know what happened, but they, they come here very, very early, long before anybody else is here in the building, and start serving, start practicing, rehearsing. So I just want to say thank you to the worship team. Can y'all give them a round of applause? Yes. And I'll, I'll say this. They don't want any applause. They know that they are here to serve the Lord, and so I just honor them and thank them for what they're doing. So, Okay, uh, today, today we're getting started on a new series on the book of Titus. Uh, we're going to go through this. We have three weeks that we're going to do this. It's three chapters in Titus. So we're just going to take one chapter at a time, and you may be thinking, well, Taryn, this is Thanksgiving, and so we should be talking about thankfulness and generosity, and I understand that too, but I'm also thankful for the book of Titus. So we're going to go through Titus. Yeah, sorry, that was, that was pretty weak. But we're going to go through Titus, and I think that Rick and I both really wanted to do this, and there's a lot that's in Titus that has to do with what we're dealing with today. And so today, the first chapter is a little, uh, it's not as meaty as the second and third chapter, so I'm going to give you a kind of an introduction to the book today, and then we'll read through the chapter. There's only 16 verses and, and we'll talk about it and talk about how it relates. But just to, to give you a little background into it, Titus uh, was, uh, the, the book of Titus is actually called a pastoral epistle, which is really a weird language. It just, epistle just means a letter. And most of the letters that Paul wrote, and Paul wrote this too, uh, were letters to churches. If you think of Philippians and Ephesians, there's a church in Philippi, Ephesus. And Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And this one is different because it's to a pastor who's over a group, actually a whole island's worth of churches, to Titus. Now, we don't get a whole lot of information about Titus himself. We know that he was a Greek follower of Jesus, a Greek convert, so he didn't grow up like a lot of people that we read about in the Bible who grew up Jewish and then converted and began following Jesus uh, through that. And, but, but, so, Paul, so Titus had a little bit of a different background in here, but the interesting thing about what we read about with Titus is really where he was stationed, where, where he was. And so uh, in Titus 1.5, we read that uh, I left you on, this is Paul talking to Titus, he says, I left you on the island of Crete. So I got a, we got a little geography here, and I'm, I, I'm terrible with geography. I just got to say, this is not my strong suit, but I can find Crete on this map. It's right here. Okay, you find it. And it's in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. If you look at pictures, if you Google pictures of Crete, 
it's beautiful. They've got some, some pretty awesome beaches and stuff there. I'm not better in Pensacola, of course, but I mean, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's okay. Uh, and, but it's a beautiful place, but it was an incredibly wicked place. I mean, it, it, was, it was awful, uh, just the things people would say about, now it's Crete, and you've probably heard of what a, a Cretan, you know, that's kind of associated with being an evil person. Uh, it was really associated with being a dishonest person. The, the island at this time was filled with pirates. There was a lot of pirates, and this isn't the Jack Sparrow, maybe he had a little too much to drink, kind of, you know, happy-go-lucky pirate. This was the, I will kill you and take everything that you have kind of pirate. I mean, this was... It, it, getting money by any means necessary. There's even Paul in verse 12 of Titus is quoting, he's actually quoting one of the old, pro, they called him prophets, really a poet of Crete. And he says, even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. And Paul says, this is true. So he, he's agreeing. He's like, this is what, like, wow, that don't, don't really want to be a Cretan here. Uh, but this is, this is the situation that Titus was dealing with. And this is really important before, you even, before we get into the book of Titus because understanding the context of it will really show Paul's words through it and give you a deeper understanding. Uh, the Cretans, something else just I found about it, the Cretans were famed as a drunken, insolent, insolent untrustworthy, lying, gluttonous people. They lived in a perpetual state of private quarrel and public feud and civil strife. And you will hardly find anywhere characters more tricky and deceitful than those of Crete. So notorious were the Cretans that the Greeks actually formed a verb, like it means like to cretize, which meant to lie and cheat. And so there was this proverbial phrase they would say to cretize against a Cretan, which meant to match lies with lies. I, I, I'm trying to paint a picture here. These were not great people, okay? These were, these were wicked people. And so Titus is left with the task of growing the church. Like, way to go, Titus. That sounds really exciting. Like, you get to grow the church in this area. This is what you're dealing with. These are the surroundings that you have. And part of the problem, the culture was so rough is because the Greeks... Uh, believed, and the people of Crete really believed that the Greek mythological gods, especially Zeus, was born on the island of Crete. Now, if you know much about Zeus or have heard much of the stories about Zeus, he was really famed for being notorious. Like, he was, he was praised for deceiving women and being a womanizer, and he was, he was praised for his evil deeds. But the idea at this time was that these Greek gods became gods because they were men who did certain deeds, and so it was this idea that they did enough deeds, whether they were good or bad, but they were famed that this man, Zeus was this man become God. Man became God. And so Paul and Titus are trying to teach Jesus, who is the exact opposite. He's the God became man, right? God, whose creator, came down to live for us. And, and the Jesus is the polar opposite in so many ways because Jesus, where Zeus was 
prided himself uh, in their stories of being someone who would do evil. It was like, I mean, and li- li- we do this too in our culture. I mean, you know, you'll, you'll watch pretty much any TV show and it's like somebody will brag about how many people they've slept with and they're like, all right, way to go. You know, it's like we, they pride themselves on how evil, how messed up they can be in society. And this is what they did. And so the Cretans were trying to be like this. They were, they were trying to go for this. Now, the major problem that the church had, because the church was already really established at this time. Uh, this, was, this was probably 30 years or so after Pentecost. So, you know, Jesus died, was buried, rose again. Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 you read about where the Holy Spirit comes. And the, the church, that's really the beginning of the church. They believed that some people who were at Pentecost went and started churches in Crete, but they needed some work. They'd run into a major, major, major problem. And the problem was that the church was beginning to look like the rest of Crete. I want you to think about this from our perspective. In what ways, you don't have to say this out loud, but in what ways has the American church, us included in this, I'm not saying we got it all figured out and everybody else is messed up, right? In what ways has the American church begun to look too much like American culture? Where we've kind of diving in a little bit and making, maybe making exceptions, like, well, that's not really that big of a deal because it's not, at least we're not doing this, or, you know, in what ways have we stepped too far into that? And it's easy to point at churches, and so I want to ask a little more pointed to the people who are in this room who are followers of Jesus, in what ways has your life begun to look too much like the American culture? Or maybe you've taken a step into some things that you can justify, and we all, we all really like to do this. We like to justify our own actions. You know, we want grace, but we want to give justice. <laughs> we, want, we want other people to be punished for their sins, right? In what ways have, have maybe we stepped into that too much in our own lives? And so this is the big, the, the big debate, really, that's going on, the big topic, the kind of the underlying context. And I know I'm just giving you a little picture of this, but this is what Paul is trying to make happen here. And he's encouraging Titus to do, saying, Titus, I'm calling you to be this pastor here and in a society that cares nothing about Jesus. And if you look around at our culture, we're we're moving there. I'm not going to say our culture cares nothing about Jesus, maybe parts of our culture, but that's moving farther and farther away from the things of God. So what do we do in there? So this is kind of my underlying question here, is what do we do when faith and culture collide? And I think Paul really answers this for us. So I, I want us to go get in and start reading Titus before we open the word. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray, though, if you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day that you've blessed us with. I thank you for every single person in this room, every single person listening online. Lord, I pray that we would move away from anything that we're stepping into that's not of you. Any part of the culture around us that's pulling us in, help us to repent of that and turn to you. And as we're going through the book of Titus this week and in the next two weeks, Lord, I'd ask that your Holy Spirit would show us what we need to learn. What is it that we need to take away to apply to our own lives? God, I would ask that these would be your words that would be spoken and not mine, that my words would fall short, your words would ring true so that our lives can be changed to better reflect you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go ahead, if you will, open up to the book of Titus. And you can follow along. If you have sermon notes in front of you, you should have some in front of you. You can follow along there. 
So I'm going to just, we're going to read through all of this and we'll kind of talk about some application of it at the end. I'm going to go kind of slow and stop a lot. If you're somebody who just likes to read through, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop a lot to explain some of it because I think it needs a little explanation on it. But starting in Titus 1, this letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. That's kind of a confusing set of words right there. Really, really he's just saying, look, I want you to understand the truth that you have. And what's the truth? Well, that's Jesus. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for you, that he's the answer, he's our hope. And I want, he's saying, I want people to better understand this in order for them to be able to live godly lives. This truth about Jesus gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie... Now, this is a really important line here. Uh, now, remember, and you got to know the context for this. Remember, they, when they heard God, they were thinking, you know, just if they heard the word God, they were thinking of Zeus, these other gods who were known for lying, were known for deception. And so Paul says, when you think of Yahweh, when you think of the true God, uh, just know that he doesn't lie. Like, if he makes a promise, he's going to follow through with it. He's not here to deceive you. He's not here, you know, to torment you. This God is, is truthful in all ways. So this God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. He promised this eternal life. And now, at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted with this work for him. I am writing to Titus, my true son in the faith that we share. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior give you grace and peace. So these first four verses are really just an introduction from Paul. It's kind of, this, this chapter is kind of divided up into the first four verses are just an introduction, kind of a long introduction here. Then five through nine are talking about eldership, leadership in the church. And then 10 through 16, this is just for your knowledge, 10 through 16 are talking about false teachers in the church, and you'll see us getting into that. Verse 5, I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children, and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. I remember reading this when I was much younger, and I was thinking, this doesn't really have anything to do with me, <laughs> because I'm not an elder. I don't really care to be an elder. Uh, that's, they're old. You know, that, I just remember thinking, like, I, didn't, I didn't care anything about that. And, and so let me, let me just broaden this out a little bit. The standards that Paul is giving for an elder, I believe, I don't think he was saying that the elders have to live like this, and everybody else can go and live however they want and still follow Jesus. I, I don't, Paul's not saying that. These are just good practical standards for all of us, for all of us to live in, uh, in talking about how to live our lives in the home and, and, and everywhere. So uh, don't have your reputation for being wild or rebellious. <clears throat> a church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. This the word heavy drinker here is really, it, the actual translation is overindulgent in wine. But it was commonly used 
at this time to, to mean a little more than that even. It was just a, a phrase that had kind of grown with the culture is that it really meant somebody who was not controlled, that they would become overindulgent in anything. And, and so the opposite of this is Paul's saying you need to be self-controlled. Uh, this was, the phrase was really used for people who were even sober who acted out of control, their behavior was. And so he's saying uh, somebody who's going to lead in the church we got to set an example because we got a bunch of people out here who don't live anything like the church, and we need to be self-controlled uh, people. Also, the dishonest with money, this was seen as anybody at this time in, in, in Crete. The, the idea was get money however you can get money by any means necessary, and it was valued so highly that, again, you were praised for it even if it were dishonest gains. So he's saying be counter to the culture around you, even with your money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. So they're a hospitable people sharing their home, their food, their lives with others. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. Some of your versions will say, uh, in, the, in the trustworthy message he was taught, it must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught, it'll say, sound doctrine. Now this is really important because Paul's saying the, the people who are leading in the church need to know the Bible. They need to know, well, they didn't have the Bible at that time the way we do, but they need to know the truth about Jesus. It's like they, they, they need to know really who was, who was Jesus. And then he gets into because there's other people who are trying to teach something different. And they need to be able to correct people on it. I, you know, you're supposed to be able to go into you and say, hey, you're, you're missing it. You're doing something wrong here, teaching something wrong. And Paul gets into that now. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. Now, if you're new here and you're wondering why are we talking about circumcision <laughs> in church, it's, it's, it's weird, I know, but the, the, he, these people are trying to go back to the old law. And the old law said to even become a Jew, you had to be circumcised. And Paul has this theme running through the New Testament a lot of times. If there are people who were, were Jews and then they started following Jesus and they're still saying though that you, well, you can have Jesus and Jesus is good, but you got to still follow the old law. You got to have this. We we talked about this in a series Jesus is earlier this year. We talked about Jesus being enough, and that we have this idea sometimes. Even we do this of this Jesus plus. It's like Jesus is good, but he's not enough. We we don't say that out loud, but we think that sometimes. It's like, well, I really need Jesus and perfect church attendance, or I need Jesus and all the right good deeds, and then I'll experience salvation. And Paul's saying, if you're doing that, you're really watering down the message of the gospel because you're putting your hope in what you're doing instead of what Jesus has already done. And so anything that you add to Jesus, anything, uh, doesn't fit. It's Jesus. He is our hope. He is our salvation. That's where we put our trust in. And they were trying to divert back to, no, 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 you got to go back to the old ways. He's, they must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching, and they do it only for money. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, we read this earlier, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. This is true. 
<laughs> so reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Now, this is a, a strange verse right here. A lot of times people will look at this verse and it, it, they'll explain it by saying, well, what this really means is that if you're pure, and here's how you know if you're pure, you've given your life to the Lord, you've been saved, so your heart is pure, not because of what you've done, because of Jesus. Then if you're, you're saved, then you can go and do anything you want, and it becomes pure because of Jesus. And that's, that's just a really poor translation of this. It's, it's pretty, uh, pretty key here, and you know, scholars just are pretty unanimous on this, that this is actually talking about food here, which may seem a little odd, but this, if you read through the New Testament, you'll see this, that, uh, and Paul's mentioned this before, Jesus mentioned this, that what comes into your body isn't what defiles you, but what comes from your heart is what makes you pure or clean. So he's, remember, he's talking, these people are trying to, talk, trying to bring back in old law. And part of the old law was you couldn't eat certain types of foods. So they're saying everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving. If you eat food, and I, I know it's, it's, this is weird for us because we just don't have this mindset. We don't think, well, they ate a cheeseburger, so I don't know that they're clean anymore, un they're unclean or something. You know? and, and we just don't think this way anymore, but this was a common thing. We have our own things that we get lost and captivated by. This was a common thought, though, that if they don't eat the right way, then they're not really pure, they're unclean. Or if they do eat the right way, then they're pure. And Paul said, it actually has nothing to do with what you're eating. You're getting mixed up in that. And then the very last verse, such people claim they know God. This, I, this is such a powerful line here. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. But they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. So Paul's, Paul's pretty tough with the people here. <laughs> Detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Some versions will say useless, and this was even used, the word that's used here for useless is, uh, is oftentimes used for counterfeit money. So it's, it's like it appears to be money, but then you go to use it and it doesn't work. It's not real. They look like they're a part of what Jesus is doing but their lives are showing something different. It's also used for, I thought this was interesting, I found this out, uh, that it's used oftentimes for soldiers who really train for battle, and they're training and training, and you think you got a good soldier here, and then they go out in battle, and they're afraid, and they run away. It's like, it's useless. They look like they're on the team. They look like they're a part of what we're doing, but their lives actually deny that they're a part of what we're doing. And I, I, this is huge. This is huge for us, today uh, and what we look like and what we represent. So I want to I go back and just talk about some application for this. If you want to go on the back side of your notes, uh, of our initial question here, what do we do when faith and culture collide? When we run into, we, we want to live a certain way, uh, but the world around us is living a very different way. And Paul gives us, he gives us a lot of insight into it. I know that may have had a hard time taking something from it, but We'll dive into it a little more. So I've got four things here that I think Paul gives us in what we just read that applies to today. For us living in America, how do we live a life, a godly life, when the, our culture is moving farther and farther from God? 
And so the first one I have is surround yourself with people who honor God. Surround yourself with people who honor God. In verse 5, where he says, Titus, I'm leaving you in Crete to do the work here and to appoint elders. It's just interesting that the, the first thing that he says is he's trying to establish godly leadership. And I think the, part of the way this applies to us is that we need to make sure that we are surrounded by people who honor God. This is, this is part of the reason that we, we say you know, small groups are so important and dream teams are so important. It, it's like you, you need to have people speaking into your life that love Jesus. You have to have this. You cannot, be, you cannot live this Christian life alone while you're constantly being influenced by the outside world. That's why I think coming to church is so important. Being with people is so important. Fellowship is so important. It's something we must have. And one of the things that's interesting, if you look at the, the kind of the parameters or what he's, the qualifications maybe for elder here, he, he doesn't talk as, he does say you got to know sound doctrine, so he does talk a little bit about what they know, but it's a lot more about what they do. I just thought that was really interesting. It's, it, it's like it's more important to live the right way than to even know all of the right things. Now, they had to have some basic knowledge about who Jesus was, but he really cared about their character. And so when you apply this to your life and you're looking, okay, I want to make sure I have godly people, people who honor the Lord in my life, I would, I think, make this real as personal as you can. If you're a teenager, maybe look for somebody who's in college or who's a little older that you see that they honor God with their life. I want to be like them. If you're a young, newlywed, find somebody that is an older couple that you look to and you say, I want my marriage to look like that marriage. That's a godly marriage. If you have kids and you want to parent like we had my wife and I we had in, in whenever you know this is probably 10 years ago we had this discussion right when we first came here and we looked at some of the parents it was you know I was in youth ministry and so I got to see you, you hear a lot of things about kids and their families whenever you talk to them I know teachers can testify to this you like I know more about what's going on in your home sometimes than you know that I know what's going on in your home and there were some there were some people that you know in talking to their kids my wife and I were so impressed with and we thought we want our kids to be like their kids I want I want to see what they're doing I have two families in mind I, they don't know I'm going to do this but and I don't mean to embarrass them but I remember and not that the other kids were bad or anything but I remember the Herons and the Barlows I remember looking at, looking at their kids, and they just, they're a little wild sometimes. You know, we, they're not perfect. I'm not saying that, but the way they raise their kids, I remember thinking, I, I wanna, they've got something that I want to make sure to mimic. I want to be like that. Find those people in your life that you, you look at their life and you see they honor God well. I want to follow that. I want to be a part of that. And it's really so much about how they live. I, I, I know... I kind of mentioned this, but if you were here last week, you heard Dr. Rick speak, and I thought one of the things that he said, he said a lot of wonderful things, but he talked about how he got his doctorate, and he had gotten all these master's degrees, and he was teaching, and he really knew the Word of God very, very well. He's like, I, I knew it so well that I had a hard time actually living it out. Now, I'm paraphrasing. But he said, it hadn't clicked with me that I'm, I'm supposed to really live this out. It, like it, had, it connected with my brain and not my heart. You've got to find people who are living out the gospel and follow them. Find people who look like Jesus and follow them. Get close with them. See what they're doing well. Okay, number two. When faith and culture collide, 
Number two is lead your home. I don't love the wording of this because you may not feel like this applies to you if you're a single person or something, but I, this is really what I mean by this. This is probably a better explanation, but it's do the simple things well. Do, do what you know God has called you to. Okay, so in verses 6 and 7, Paul is talking about leading your family. It must be a, a husband of one wife, and he talks about raising your children to not be wild. He doesn't you know, Paul doesn't start off and say, look, Titus, I want you to go and look for men who have these grandiose visions about how to lead thousands of people to the Lord. And he doesn't start off with this real big picture stuff. He starts off small. It's like, hey, find people who can get it right in their own home, who lead their daily affairs well. A lot of times we put, uh, we put big effort into, I want to do something big for God. I want to be this world changer. And I think God's like, yeah, why don't you be kind to your spouse, okay? Start with that. I remember Francis Chan talked about, I think it was in the book Forgotten God. And Francis Chan is wonderful, everything he says, I feel like. But he gives this picture of somebody going out on the beach. He's like, they get their, their you know, beach chair, and they go out to the beach, and they, they have their coffee and their Bible. And they go out, and they open up their Bible, and they're just like, Lord, just tell me what you want me to do with my life. And he says, I have to think God just looks at you like you're crazy. Like, I've told you what to do. Like, go feed some people and clothe people, give water. Like, what do you mean? I've, I've told you these basic things to do. Just go do those things. Why are you making this so crazy? You know, what's so wild? And I think th- that's really what I'm trying to say here is that for us, it, it starts with, like, are you, the role that you have in your home or in, with your family or at, jo- at your job or at school, it's like, are you loving the people around you well there? Are you leading them to the Lord there in those places? And number three, anchor yourself in sound doctrine. Now, I don't, I don't want to go into this too much. We, we, I just did a sermon uh, three weeks ago, I believe, about uh, spending time with Jesus and, and being involved in that. This is, this is so incredibly important, though. Make sure you are spending time reading the Word. And I would maybe argue it this way that you're going to be influenced so much by the world around you. Um, I think about our, our teenagers who, oh my goodness, are just so bombarded with social media and so many things. And you, you can't expect to show up on Sunday and, you know, come and listen to like a 30-minute sermon, even if it is amazing. You know, okay, like you can't, <laughs> I'm supposed to laugh at that. that was, uh, you can't expect to show up on Sunday and listen to a sermon and then go and be influenced by the world the rest of the week and think, all right, now I got it. Now, now I know what God wants for me. Uh, it, it, it just doesn't work like that. You need to be influenced more by the Bible than by the outside world. Or else you will become more like the outside world. It, it's really that simple. You, you have to spend time with Jesus. You have to spend time in the Word. And then the last thing is pursue biblical purity. I just, I had originally on this one, I just had pursue purity. And I was like, no, I need to add biblical in there. Because, here, listen, this, this, this one drives me a little crazy. Because we like to put... Uh, we like to put our own standards on things, and there's only one person who gets to make the standards, right? It's Jesus. Jesus gets to make the standards for our lives. Once you've given your life to him, I had this conversation with one of my kids. I don't remember how long it was ago. It must have been a year or two ago, because they had just turned 13, 
And they were trying to convince me, like, Dad, I'm 13 now. I'm an adult. You know, you know, you know I, I, okay, yeah. I, I have a single hair on my chin or something. You know, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, no, they were, they were trying to convince me, like, Dad, I'm 13, so I get to watch any PG-13 movie because that's, that's how it works. And I just thought, that's really interesting that you think that, <laughs> you know, that, that we are just going to naturally go with what the world deems appropriate for a 13-year-old. But we do this in our lives. We do. I mean, that, movies is an easy example. We do this in a lot of areas of our lives. We'll say, look, well, my friends are doing it, and this, I'm like, I don't care what your friends are doing, right? We, we will find ways to fit into the world standards of things and, and really deny what the Bible has to say. The world cannot set your standard on purity because it's constantly changing. I mean, you look at, you look at what the world, just, just sexually speaking, what the world deems as pure today versus 30 years ago. It's very different. And you know what? 30 years from now, it's going to be very different. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His law never changes. His rule never changes. You, this is what you need an anchor. You need, you need a rock to settle in on. And don't let the world determine how you live your life. Let the Bible, let God's word determine how you live your life. So these are, these are my four really big takeaways. I have, I have one last thing that I, I want to share with you that, and maybe it fits into these. I separated it out. I probably didn't need to. But my last thing, and this is based on verse 16 here that I said I was coming back to. It's last verse in Titus 1. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. So my point here is, when, when we're going out into the culture, when we're going out to job and life and everything that we're facing, the way you live will move people towards God or away from him. You will either deny that you know God by the way you live, or you will shine a light on Jesus and reflect Jesus to the people around you. And this is, this is so incredibly important. Your greatest testimony is just the way you live. You know, you can say all that you want, but if people see you living it differently, they're not going to follow it. I, I had a, a quote here. Uh, maybe you remember this song. Some of you who've, I don't know, been in the church for a while and remember some old DC Talk songs. I think this is, I think this is What If I Stumble. I might be wrong on that. Don't quote me. Go look it up and tell me. Uh, but it, it, uh, a guy, they had to, at the beginning of this, I just remember this, listened to it growing up, and uh, Brennan Manning had a quote at the beginning of this. No idea who he is. I just remember the song, okay? And it said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Our be- I got the right song. Thank you. I appreciate that. The, our, our greatest testimony to the world around us, while our world moves farther and farther from what Jesus desires for our world to look like, is to live more and more like Jesus. It's, it, it's very simple. To love people the way that Jesus does. And we'll begin to attract more people and more people to Jesus. And so I want to address two groups. I always like to do this at the end of the message. If you are somebody here that you, maybe it's your first week, you haven't been in church ever before. First of all, we're so glad you're here. And maybe you don't know anything about this. And part of the reason you have not made the decision to give your life to Jesus is 
because you look around at Christians and you think, I don't know, they're pretty messed up too. Well, just so you know, you're right. We are. That's why we put our faith in Jesus, because he's the only one we know that's not messed up, right? Amen? He's the only one perfect and the only one worthy of, of giving this hope to, of giving our affection to, of giving glory to, because he is our hope. And so if, if we have, uh, you know, made Christianity seem sour to you, I just want to I'll say I'm sorry, because we mess it up. Um, but Go and look at Jesus. Go and look, I would encourage you, go and look at the life of Jesus. Go and read the Gospels. Go and just find out who he is. And you can make that decision today. You can make the decision to give your life to him. It starts off with just surrender, just saying, Jesus, I need you. Your next step into that would be, we would want you to become baptized. We had a baptism a couple of weeks ago. I always love that. But we want to talk to you more about that. If, if you want to make a decision for Christ, you want to know more about him, you want to study about him, and you'd like to study with one of us, we would love to know. There's cards in the backs of the pews in front of you you can fill out, and we want to follow up with you. Now, if you're a Christian and you're hearing this, this is what, this is what I want you to hear, is that I believe that all of us in some areas, and this is a, a constant thing that we have to remind ourselves of, are stepping into culture more than we're stepping into what Jesus has in store for us. We've kind of maybe been sliding a little bit, and it never happens really quickly. It's, it's always like this slow, like you start a, a habit, and it, it's like, well, it's not, I'm not going to make this a habit, and it becomes a habit or, or something. It just, it, that's the way it works. And maybe you've started to kind of slide more into, and you've compromised in some areas of your life, and I just want to encourage you to repent of that and come back to where Jesus has you and where Jesus wants you, just any area that you have. Repent of that and come back to Jesus and do that today.